0: what now? Back in the day, um, I've gone through phases in life, right, where I'm interested in different things. So back in the day, I was in this rock climbing phase, and uh, Amy's cousin, Chad, would go climb. He's more like a brother, but over in the Kalamazoo side, we would go climbing at an indoor rock climbing gym, like every Sunday. Every Sunday, we would do it, and we were horrible when we started. So it's like the little kid walls, you know, with the rocks that are this. That's how we started. We started with the easy one, high-fiving each other when we got up that five-foot wall. You know, we did it. And uh, then we progressed all the way up to the 30-foot wall, like the one where your back is kind of parallel with the floor, you know, and then it goes back up. And I mean, super challenging. But as you talk to people, your technique gets better. And so I start talking at church, right? I'm talking to people because I'm excited about it. I'm getting better. And uh, one of our Staff people, her husband is like this parkour guy until he blew out his knees. But at the time, you know, he's like, he really did that. Like, that really happened. Anyway, you know, he's like six foot four and lean and like American Ninja Warrior kind of guy. You know, a lot like me, similar build, (laughs) very similar. (laughs) um, So Chris was like, Chris was like, bro, like I'd love to go. He didn't talk like that because he's like an engineer, but in my head, that's kind of what he sounds like in my head. So he's like, Bro, I'd love to like go climb with you. You know, just dudes hanging out, climbing on the wall. Like he didn't sound anything like that. But I was like, yeah, yeah, Chris, let's do it, man. Let's go. And so we get there. And I'm kind of competitive. And so my competitive streak kicks in. And probably there's signage. Probably. I didn't read the signs. But probably the signs say things like do this and don't do that. And, you know, make sure you're being safe and don't be dumb. It probably says something like that. And and there are rules to rock climbing gyms, like the bowling alley. You know, if you go bowling, this person bowls, and then they wait, and then this person bowls. You don't bowl at the same time. If you've been doing that, don't do that. Like, that's not nice. Like, you take turns at the bowling. Rock climbing gyms are the same. So, like, that wall's climbing, and you take a second and get stretched out, and then you go, right? But no, there was this idea that, Chris, we should race, because I think I can take you. You know, you're like 20 years younger than me, but whatever. Like, I can take you. Let's race. And he's like, he's like, I don't think that's okay. He's an engineer, right? I don't think that's okay. I think that's against the rule. No, I'm a pastor. Trust me. What are they going to do? Like, <laughs> let's do it. And Chris was like, okay. And so it's like, Mark said, go, I don't even know if he touched with his hands. He just like runs up the wall. And um, he beat me real bad the first time. Mr. Competition, I'm like, Let's do it again, right? Let's do it again. I think I can go faster. And I actually crept up on him the next time. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm wearing him down. You know, he's getting tight. Let's do it again. And I'm getting closer each time I'm getting closer. One, one important detail, he had an auto belay system on his wall, which means like if he slipped or when he got to the top and smacked the top, he could just like jump back away from the wall. And there was like this little pulley thing that just slowly lowers him back to the earth because this is like a 20-foot wall, you know, so you slowly lowered your to the. Your... I had Ian, my oldest son, and he had been climbing with me a lot, so he knew as I would climb, he'd take out the slack, and if I fall, I would say fall, and he would brace, and then he would slowly lower me down. Like, no, no problem, right? That's, that's how you climb. And so in my head, I'm like, I got a plan. I'm not going to tell anyone my plan because I'd mess up my plan. I'm going to get halfway up, and then I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump for the top and then smack the top. Like, I'm going to look like Spider-Man, probably, you know. So in my head, I'm literally floating in the air and smacking the top. And so I'm like, "So I'm going to do, because I'm going to win. That's all that matters in life is winning, right? No, it's not. Anyway, so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to win. And so it's like, mark, set, go. And he gets to a second handhold, and he slips. And I'm like, ah, I got you now, Right. I am totally going to beat knowing, like, I still better move because this guy's so fast. So I get halfway, and I do exactly what I thought. I jump, and I smack the top. I beat him, y'all. Like, I beat him to the top. And he was like, oh, that was a good climb. But the thing is, <laughs> when you're climbing that fast, the person who's spotting you, there is no way any human alive can take the rope in that fast. So after I smacked the top, I said, fall. And I expected to fill this sudden catch, and to slowly be lowered back to the earth. 20 feet moves quickly when you're falling, just so you know. <laughs> like, it does not take long. I was not ready for that. I hadn't even thought through, is he going to catch me? I probably should have warned him, but um, no, I just went for it, right? And so there's not At this rock climbing gym, there's not like a yoga mat at the bottom. No, they were prepared. I wasn't prepared. They were prepared for dummies not following the rules. So they had like this big cushiony foam at the bottom for me to land. And I landed on Ian too. So that, it worked well. But still, I got to the bottom. I was scared to death. You know, like I got to the bottom. I'm wiggling my toes thinking like I could have died. And I'm wiggling my toes and my fingers and my nose. And I'm like, I'm alive. And here I am today, right? I'm still alive. So it all ended well. But I definitely was not prepared. I was not ready. Church, I want to wrestle with that question today. How are you doing with being prepared? That gym was ready. I wasn't ready. They were ready. Are you prepared? Take your Bibles. Open up to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 verses 36 through 51 is where we're going to be today. This is known as the Olivet Discourse. And so in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is at the Mount of Olives, right? And he's having this discussion With the disciples, he's just been in Jerusalem, right? The Mount of Olives is just outside Jerusalem. So he was just in Jerusalem. He was just there at the temple where he pronounced judgment on the scribes and Pharisees. On the way out of Jerusalem, he looks at his disciples. He tells them about the destruction of the temple that's coming. And so they have a couple questions. Jesus, when's when's that going to happen? And can you talk to us about your second coming? Talk to us about when the temple will be destroyed and talk to us about your second coming. Now, we know because of history that the temple was destroyed in the year A.D. 70 by the Romans. They went through and destroyed everything. And what we're going to see here in today's passage is Jesus talking about his second coming, which brings us to our big idea. It's more of a big question. The big question today is, are you ready? Are... You ready? Let's look chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Jesus says this. He says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So in verses 36 through 44, Jesus is emphatic about a certain point again and again and again, and that is you're not going to know the time Church, no one, the angels aren't going to know the time. The Father in heaven is the only one who's going to know the time. And again, he starts this section in verse 36. This whole section, it reminds me, of those, some of you are in school now. So it's like when you're in school, most of us in this room, we're definitely not in school now. Like, like that was a long time ago for some of us. Think back to school. When you take that test that said, read this section, and then tell us, what's the main idea of this section? What would be a good title for this section? For some of you, it was so easy, right? So it probably made you mad because it was so easy because you're like, you don't even have to read all that. Like, read the thesis statement and be done. So if it says an innkeeper and his wife, done, you don't have to read anything else. There it is. You've got your thesis. You don't have to worry about anything. But there's some in here that did not find it so easy, right? You didn't find it easy because as you read, you got distracted, didn't you? There's all kinds of rabbit trails all over the place. It would mention a little puppy dog. And when you saw the little puppy dog, clearly that should be the title. if it's not the title, they're wrong because there's a dog in the story and the dog belongs in the title. And so you would have such a hard time with it. That's kind of what this is like, right? There's a lot of things happening here, but Jesus is making something so crystal clear. You're not going to know the time. You're not going to. And yet that tends to be where we want to focus, isn't it? Instead, Jesus says, focus on being prepared. He looks in verse 37 through 41. He says, it's going to be a lot like in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking. They were marrying. They were being given in marriage. They were, they were doing life. That's what we would call it, doing life, just plugging along, one foot in front of the other. If Jesus were to tell this story today, he would say, it's, it's kind of like you get up, you drink some coffee. You go to work, you come home, you eat some dinner, rinse and repeat. That's what people were doing. They were just going through life until. Do you see that word until there? Church, we have until in our lives all the time. You get going through life, you get your rhythms, you get your patterns until, until that thing happens and everything's flipped upside down. For this particular example, it says, until Noah entered the ark. See, that's the moment that everything changed. Until Noah entered the ark. Then everything changed. God's judgment was upon humanity and the flood came. Jesus says, that's how the second coming's going to be. That's how it's going to be when I return. It's going to be, un- it's going to be unexpected. He continues with the illustration of unexpected. He said, there's going to be two men in a field. One's going to be gone. One's going to be there. It's going to be the two women at the mill. One is going to be gone. The other is going to be there. Jesus says it's going to be so sudden. It's going to be quick. It's going to be unexpected. So in verse 42, he says, stay awake, for you don't know the hour that the Lord is coming. Stay awake. It doesn't mean like physically you can't go to sleep. It means spiritually. Stay awake. Because so oftentimes, church, what we do is we get lazy in our faith, don't we? We get lazy in our faith and living what it means to be a follower of Christ, almost like he's not going to return, which we'll talk about more in just a second. But we get lazy in our faith. Instead, what we're called to is more of this Romans Romans chapter 12 picture. And view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. If pick up your cross and follow him daily right? This is this daily call that we have. Church, we should live life in a way that says we're planning for the next generation to hear the gospel, and yet we're ready today. We're planning for the next generation to hear the gospel, but we're going to be intentional about the way that we live today because we realize he could come at any moment. And then Jesus brings out another example. In verse 43, he says it's like the homeowner, the master of the house, who has a thief come in the middle of the night. Now, if he would have known when the thief was coming, he would have been ready. But he didn't know, so he wasn't ready. I identify with that so much. In fact, I'm going to admit something to you. I didn't admit it to the first service because I was a little uncomfortable. But I feel like we're friends, and so I'm going to share it with you. (laughs) Um, You know, we're close like that. But sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I struggle a little bit with my life group. And, and let me explain what I mean by that. I do. I, I struggle a little bit. Because a lot of you, I see your Instagram posts. I don't post a whole bunch, but I see everything that you're doing. I'm one of those people, right? I'm watching everything. And like some of you, like your houses are so tidy. Like it just looks, everything looks like an Instagram photo, right? You've just got your stuff together. You're, it's clean all the time. I'm comfortable at my house, Right? <laughs> We have like 300 blankets in the living room. That's that's my house. And so when it's time for life group, my family will tell you like I do. I I internally panic just a little bit. I do. I panic because I'm like, I gotta sweep. I gotta mop. I gotta empty the bathroom trash. I gotta fold 300 blankets and hide it. I've gotta brush the dog, and squirt smelly stuff on him so he doesn't smell like a dog. You know. I've gotta. And the life group. What's funny though, my life group. They don't care. They literally don't care. They'll sit at the table, and they'll tell me that. They're like, Billy, we don't look, just so you know. We're not looking at the baseboards. Did he wipe those down? You know, we don't. We're just going to come over, eat tacos, study the Bible. You know, we're going to have a good time. We don't care about it. But I do. Like, I really struggle with it. And I, I think sometimes we treat the Lord like that. I think sometimes we treat the Lord like, hey, if you'll tell me it's Tuesday night at 630, I can get the room of my heart clean. I can get things tidied and put away. But normally I'm kind of a mess. You know, I, I don't know that I'm ready for you right now. I don't know that I'm ready for you right this second. And Jesus is screaming to us through scripture that we need to be ready. So how do we make this practical? How do we make it practical? Because some of you, let me just tell you, some of you, you're going to go home today and you're going to go, okay, pastor, I'm not going to know the day or the hour Maybe I can figure out the year. You know, maybe if I can just get the year, it'll be all right. And so you're the type that you're going to go home and you're going to take, you know, that butcher paper that rolls out. You're going to roll out the paper in your hallway and you're going to start writing down diagrams and graphs and charts. You're going to go, okay, Daniel it says, and Ezekiel it says, over here in Revelation it says, then in Matthew it says, you know, like, I'm going to figure it out. Like I'm just, if I can just get the year, I'll be okay. And I, I just want you to hear me say, I love that about you. I, and I'm sincere. I love that. Any time that I'm teaching and it drives us as a church to the word of God, I love that. If it encourages you to to study more and to grow deeper in your faith, that fires me up. Like I love it. I love when we read the word and then when we do it at the same. So what does this look like to do this? How do we do be prepared? Well, it means that we're going to stand firm in our faith. First Corinthians chapter six, we're going to stand firm in our faith. It doesn't matter what the movies say we should be doing. It doesn't matter what music says, what politicians say, what culture says. We stand firm in our faith. We don't shake. We don't move from our faith in Christ as Lord and Savior. That means that we're going to continue to be steadfast in our posture of prayer, Colossians chapter 4. You know, this morning we had people who were not able to come to church and be here because of surgeries, people who, because of positive results, were not able to be here, people who are, are, are out of town, people who are struggling with a job situation, a financial situation, people right here in this room with all kinds of stress going on. Let's continue to be steadfast in our prayer for one another. Let's not grow tired of praying for one another. And to think that that's something that we do after the work has been done, you know, then we pray. No, prayer is the work. Church, prayer is the work. This is where our faith is strengthened. This is where we walk out of our prayer closet saying, I know that the Lord is good and that he is God. I know that because I'm steadfast in my prayer. We're sober-minded, 1 Peter chapter 5. Sober-minded means we're not running around as Christians all over the place getting distracted with every rabbit. We are locked in on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are sober-minded in our faith. We're going to be ready Titus chapter three, for every good work, ready for every good work. I know I've already referenced it, but like when we build this building, I want to be crystal clear what we're doing. We build this expectant to tell the next generation. We want to position ourselves to be able to tell the next generation of the goodness of the Lord, right? That's what we want to do. We want room enough for one more. Just so you know, the first service was full this morning. The second service, the overflow room was packed. You know what that means, right? Overflow room was packed. That means there was a sign on the outside of the door that says, we don't have room for you in here. We want to make sure there's room for everyone, right? And so we've got this work going on. Now, something that you need to know about Woodside, a lot of times when we have these projects, there's something within the project that's not covered in the building cost. For Lake Orion, it was the carpet, uh, right? That, and that may not sound like a big deal. Well, carpet, you carpet. Okay, it was a Christmas store before it was a church. So they had Christmas carpet all over the place. It was beautiful. <laughs> this beautiful green Christmas carpet. And so the church had to come together and to say, all right, we don't, we don't really want Christmas carpet in here. We're going to have to figure out what to do for it. So our carpet is included. This room is going to be changed out. The transition way, the, the building, all the carpets taken care of in the building. The kids ministry is going to have some, some really cool carpet going in there. Though what's not included is the furniture cost. And when I say furniture cost, I don't mean the chairs for the worship center. Those are in there already. They built the chairs, and they were like, we don't want to store them, so we're shipping them to you." so you'll see them wrapped up in cardboard against the wall there. Uh, What's not included, though, would be the furniture. So when you go downstairs into the kids' room, that's where I especially want you to look. Because what you're going to see is you're going to see the stage at the front. You're going to see the sound booth at the back. You're going to see a Bible study room behind some glass. But over to the side, you're going to see where the workers kind of fenced off all of their tools, everything that they're working on. Against that wall is where our small groups will meet for our kids. That furniture cost was not included Right or anything for the lobby, which we'll talk about some other time. Let's talk about the kids, though. That kids' furniture, we have some choices. Choice number one: we could go get some white tables from Costco, and we could take the building, pop up some white tables, and say, "Well, it's going to be hard to hear, and you know, but do your best. Those tables are fine. We could do that. That is an option. We could go to IKEA. We could we could get some of that furniture. Someone has suggested that, and that's not bad." I just don't think that furniture was made for hundreds of kids to be on and off of it every single weekend. I don't know how long it's going to last, uh, but that is an option. We could have it built. Many campuses, that's what they've done. They included in the build-out of their campus that furniture, so we actually called uh, how much would the millwork cost to have this done, you know, to have some booths put in with some, with some tabletops for this size, and the estimate was between fifty dollars and $60,000. They said closer to sixty. dollars and I'm like, hmm, yeah, I, what other options do we have? And so <laughs> here's what we did. $50,000 to $60,000 a lot of money. So we um, called up our guys who built the boot racks. Remember the boot racks with the elementary school? And we said, hey, guys, can you, can you design something? Can you come in here and look? And what can you come up with? And so they met with Tracy, and Tracy's telling them things like, I, I don't want any hard edges. I want, I want this safe for our kids. I want it comfortable Right, it's got to be comfortable. I want dividers, right? That way, this group can meet in their small group, and they're not so distracted because some kids get distracted, weird, right? But they, they don't want the kids to get distracted from what's happening right next door in this small group. So they want some dividers that that look great and that are kid friendly and that match the ministry here. And so they went to work and started designing. And they said we could do if we had workers, we could do that for between eight and ten thousand dollars. We could build everything in house, and it'd be incredible. So there's two needs we have. Need number one, some of you are going to be called on to help build. You're good with saws and whatever other tools they use to build things. <laughs> I have... I sounded so dumb just then, didn't I? So I, uh, I've been working on my shower, and I say, I've been working on my shower. I really haven't. Kevin Drayma came over. He worked on my shower, and I talked to him the whole time. So, um, but you know, like, worker man tools. So some of you... Some of you will be called on to do things. I don't know if you need drills or what you need, but hammers, maybe. Anyway, they'll talk you through it. But assembly line style, kind of like what we did, the boot racks. I'll bring donuts, right? That's what I'll do. I'll bring food and I'll talk to you. And um, it'll be great. We'll have a wonderful time. But some of you are going to be called on for that. But we have to have the finances in place to make that happen first. And so as you're touring, I just want to ask this. As you're touring, And you look at the worship center and you work your way down there to the kids' room. You can explore any way that's not uh, sectioned off. You can explore everything. Feel free to, to look around everywhere. But as you work your way downstairs, some of you maybe, you've been stirred for weeks now knowing that you're going to be called on to step out and be generous. You just haven't known what that area is or what you're supposed to do. And maybe this is it. Maybe this is it. So if that's you, I'd love for you to do. Tracy will be down there. Some of the guys will be down there. If you feel led to give, I'd love for you just to stop and say, hey, I want to give to that project. I want to help make that happen. I'm really excited about the ministry that's going to take place. This isn't a guilt thing. This isn't high pressure. This is just the Lord's already stirring in you. I'd love to give you the opportunity to step in to that area there so that you can be ready for every good work. Finally, let's look at how, as we prepare for the return of Christ, we want to be faithful We wouldn't be faithful. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus lays out another illustration of someone who's prepared. And he says it's like this house who has this this faithful, this wise servant. The picture is... In my head, I never watched it, but Amy watched Downton Abbey back in the day. I would be in the room and would listen, so, you know, I picked up a little bit of what was going on. But there's like this butler character, and if you never watched it, that's okay. Just imagine in your head a butler character. This person who's responsible to make sure that these workers are doing what they're supposed to, and these are doing what they're supposed to, and these are doing what they're supposed to, and all together, we bring them all together to make sure that the people are being served at the right time, at the right place, right when they're supposed to. Do you see that? This is the faithful and the wise servant. In verse 46, it says, that servant will receive a blessing. That word blessing is the Greek word makarios. Makarios is this very rich in tradition Greek word. It means that this person is going to be flourishing because of their wisdom, flourishing because of their faithfulness. Do you see that? Jesus says, I I want you to live the life of a makarios of a blessing kind of a servant where you're, where you're faithful, where you're wise. And it says in verse 47, this servant's gonna be set over all the possessions, which is so different than the other example, the wicked servant, right? The wicked servant, it says, will be the one with some destructive self-talk. The master, the master's gone. I can do whatever I want. I can, now you see where this is going, right? And the church We have those who are followers of Jesus who don't live like it. We have those who are Christians who almost act like, I don't know if Jesus is ever going to return, so I'm just going to talk like the rest of the world. I'm going to do what the rest of the world does. This particular servant, Jesus says, even though he's a servant, he starts to mistreat and and abuse the other servants. And then he starts to, to drink and to carry on, which ruins his own reputation as well as the reputation of his own household. You ever seen that happen in a church? Because of the way that we act as Christians, we act no different than anyone else, that it ruins the reputation of those who call ourselves followers of Christ? And so the warning Jesus gives causes this big lump in our throat. As he says in verse 51, there's really a shocking response. This wicked servant will be cut into pieces, Braveheart style, right? Cut into pieces, and then the disciples, as they're listening, they heard Jesus say, and then labeled as a hypocrite, meaning you're a liar. You're a fraud. You're fake. You are so far away from the life you are called to live. You are not worthy. And then cast into that place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal torment and judgment. And then, I think what's especially hard, the passage just kind of stops, doesn't it? It just kind of ends. It's a hard place to end. Yet, that's where Jesus quits, right there. So I think the takeaway is to recognize that we really have three groups of people in this room. Three groups of people who are watching from the overflow room. Group number one, you would be the faithful and wise servants. My brothers and sisters who are like, no, Pastor, I'm I'm fired up about the Lord. Like, I've been living the way that I've been called to live. I mean, I could sharpen, sure, but my eyes are fixed on Jesus as author and perfecter of my faith. Like, I am that person waking up saying, Lord, I'm offering my body as a living sacrifice to you. It's not my life. I've been purchased. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's not my life at all. And you've been living like that. Can I just tell you, keep living like that. Keep doing it because it is such an encouragement. Look to those to your left and your right and say, hey, come on, let's go this way. Encourage them towards Christ-likeness. I have that group in here, and I'm so thankful for you. I got another group. It's more like the wicked servant. The other group, you're here, but your heart hasn't been. You know, as I've been talking about the whole fold the 300 blankets, that's, that's your heart right now. Your heart is in that place of going, Lord, now's not a real good time to come because I'm still a mess right here. I'm in disarray. I'd have to do a little bit of cleaning before I'd be ready. Can I just tell you that today is such a gift of grace just to have a chance to say, let's, let's bring our lives into alignment with his. Let's, let's live a life of makatios, of this rich, Incredible blessing because we're living faithful and wise in the way that we serve and the way that we're ready for his return. And then I have those in the room that maybe you've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus. You haven't. I want to go back because just a little bit ago we took communion. And do you remember what I said? I said that Jesus broke the bread. He gave thanks. He held up the bread. He said, This bread is like my body that will be broken. I want to go slow here. Will be broken for you and for all so that sins can be forgiven. In other words, your sins are not forgiven on your own. You can't do anything for the forgiveness of sins. And here's the problem. Maybe you've never heard the gospel. I just wanna share the gospel with you. You and I, we break the rules. You wanna know what I deserved at that rock climbing gym? I deserve to be banned for life. That's what I deserve. Right? If they tell a rule, if they post a rule, don't race and be dumb because you can die and we don't want to be liable because you're dumb, like, and I ignore it, I deserve that. Didn't I? I deserve the penalty. I did, I deserve the penalty. The issue is, is you and I we're guilty of so much more than that, aren't we? We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. If you're part of a workplace, if you're part of a gym, if you're part of anything, and you break the rules again and again and again. Acting like I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, you're not surprised when you're thrown out. You're not surprised when you're fired. You're not surprised when you're banned. The wages of sin is death. The Bible says eternal separation from God. Forever. And even while we were still sinners, the Bible says God loved us. Isn't that incredible. Not straighten up and fly right and then come back and then I'll love you. Go straighten up how you're talking, then I'll love you. Go straighten up who you're hanging out with, then I'll love you. Go, that music, you need to throw away all that music, and then then I'll love you. No, he loved us even then. That's why Jesus came. And Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. He was crucified on the cross to pay for our sins, church, once and for all. On the third day, he conquered sin and death. Jesus says, this bread represents my body that will be broken for you and for all so that sins can be forgiven. We are forgiven through our faith in what Christ has done. And so if you've never done that, why not today just say, Lord, I believe. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life because I've been trying to do this on my own, but this is about you. I today am surrendering everything to you. Father, Thank you. Thank you for the, just the gift of life today. The gift of being able to worship you, to lift high your holy name. Lord, I just, I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters in this space that, um, Lord, they have been intentional being that faithful and wise servant. They truly are living out and walking out their faith. I am so thankful. And Lord, I just pray that today, has been such an encouragement to them. That place of saying, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to continue to do this. I do pray for conviction for my brothers and sisters that, Lord, they've started to drift. They're living life like that wicked servant. They're living like you're not going to return because, God, we know you will. We know that Jesus will return again. He will return with clouds of glory. So we want to be ready. Lord, we want to teach that generation, but we want to be ready today, right here in this moment. And Lord, for those that maybe today is the first time that they're throwing up their hands and throwing open their hearts, I just pray pray for the freedom of them being able to surrender, to surrender to Jesus as Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.